Amen. Well, good morning again, church family. We are so glad that you are here today. And I mean that. We got uh, the Weisses are in town from down south somewhere. And we have some special guests up here uh, visiting uh, with, with the Valentine. So we're just really glad that you are here. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for coming. Um, we enjoyed getting away, but it's so good to come home uh, to family. And that's what the sermon is about today is home is better. Well, his name was Henry C. Morrison. And uh, he was a missionary. He and his wife were missionaries to Africa for 40 years. And at the end of their 40 years, and it's just about the time when Theodore Roosevelt was president, 1902-3, somewhere in there, because of bad health, they had to come home. And, of course, this was time long before uh, you could fly home, so they took a ship home. And they were wondering, he was wondering, he said to his wife, he goes, you know, I wonder if anyone will remember. I wonder if anyone will remember when we come home. So as they're pulling into New York Harbor, he was amazed to see a large crowd had gathered at the game plant. He was so excited that they had not forgotten him. Of course, he was traveling third class and didn't see what eventually took place. But it turned out that Teddy Roosevelt was on that boat coming home. And he had been over to Africa, too, and he was on one of his safaris. And the big crowd, it wasn't for Henry. It was for the president. And the time he made his way down the gangplank, no one was there. Not one person was there to see them as they came home. He was heartbroken. So that night at the hotel, he said to his wife, he said, it's just not fair. I don't understand. He goes to hunt animals, and everyone shows up to see him home, and we give 40 years of our life. And no one cared. No one came. Sometime during the night, he was thinking and praying. And he said, it seems like God whispered to him these words. Henry, you're not home yet. Henry, you're not home yet. And in this troubled world that we live in, it's important as believers in Christ that we remember we're not home yet. The sermon today is entitled, Home is Better. There is better than here. And I know the world seems so messed up right now, and sometimes I just shake my head and go, God, what's going on, and, and how, how is this all going to play out? And he reminds me to trust him, but he also reminds me that home is better. We spent three years in Germany, and we loved it there. But let me tell you something. Home was better. We were gone eight days on a trip that included part of it with our family, and to be on vacation with them was always such a good time. But when we got home last night, Jean and I both realized and said, home is better. Home is better. So I hope today that by God encouraged Henry that he wasn't home yet, that we can be encouraged in knowing that yes, there are troubles and tribulations in this world, but there's coming a place. If we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, there is coming a place, there's coming a time, and home will be better. Um, it was toward the end of his 
reign or his time on earth, you know, his three years on earth, the public time, John 14, 15, and 16, particularly, and 17, were, were just huge chapters when Jesus is trying to explain what's going on and that the ministry is coming to an end. And, and it wasn't the end that they wanted. They, they had envisioned that, that he was going to overthrow Rome, that he was going to be this prince, this king, and, and rule Israel, and they were going to be his princes, and it was going to be great. It just wasn't the ending that they were expecting. And perhaps like you today, perhaps like you, maybe you're discouraged. And maybe the end that you are seeing in your life is not the end that you were expecting. And maybe you need a word of encouragement. And I hope that's what today is. I was talking to one of our members about another one of our families that's just going through a difficult time. It's the end of their, their time here. It's just a very difficult time. And I said to, to this person, I said, I wonder if they ever thought that's how it would end. Have you ever said that before? I wonder how it ended this way. Well, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the end is not the end. Home is going to be better. Our scripture comes and starts in John chapter 14, a wonderful scripture that we all know that teaches us some powerful truths. In John chapter 14, the very first part, Jesus begins, because again, the rain is coming over, and he knows the boys don't get it. He knows the guys don't understand. This is not the end that they had planned. It, they had sold everything to follow him, and this is not how they expected it to end. And so he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. If Jesus were standing here today, he would say those exact same words to us. Don't let your heart be troubled. You see the words don't let there? It seems to imply that there's a choice. That we, that we have a power to make sure that our hearts are not troubled. Over in Proverbs 4.23, you know, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon says, you know, guard your heart. Above, in fact, he says this, above everything else, guard your heart. Because out of it come the issues. Of life. So Jesus is saying then, so, so he's saying, Jesus is saying, guard your heart. Don't let it become troubled. Because as we look around at circumstances in life, it's easy to do that, isn't it? Politically, we don't understand. Culturally, we don't understand. Even in church, we don't understand. It's just, it's just a huge conglomeration of confusion for so many. But Jesus said, don't let your heart, don't let the seed of your emotions, don't let the seed of who you are become troubled. You have such an interesting word. That word troubled is the very same word that the, that the writer used in John, okay, later on, or earlier. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Do you all remember that story when Lazarus died? A good friend of Jesus and Martha and Mary were there and he consoled Mar uh, Mary and, and they consoled uh, Martha and they consoled Mary. And, and Mary's standing by the grave, right by the grave and at the tomb. And, and, and she says, oh, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's like you, you can imagine all the people around, they were all there, and they're all nodding. Goes, That's right, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw that, the Bible says that his heart was troubled. He was grieved in his spirit. And that's the exact same word that John uses here for that word troubled. Don't be grieved in your spirit because of what you see here. You know why? Because you're not home yet. This 60, 70, or 80 years that we have here is not home. We're sojourners going through life. So don't let your heart be troubled. 
You know, and in John 16, 33, again, one of those passages where the end was near, you know, Jesus said, I have said these things. I'm, I'm explaining all this to you now because I know what's coming. He says, I, I have said these things to you that in me you're going to have peace. You know, when, when you take and look through the lens of Jesus in this world, he said, I've said these things so that you can have peace. Now listen, listen. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer um, because I have overcome the world. Have you ever wondered why, why God allows tribulations? I know there's like a zillion reasons why God allows tribulations. You know what one of them is? He wants to make sure we don't stay too comfortable I mean, you know, it's awful easy to think this is home. When, when every day is sunshine and roses and every event goes our way and everything, we go, wow, and all of a sudden this becomes home. And I believe he sends tribulations into our lives to just nudge us and let us know, remember, remember, you're not home yet. And, and as good as this life might be, home is better. Home is better. He said, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. Take heart. But I have overcome the world. And then he gives us the basis, the justification for that statement. You know, when he says, don't let your heart be troubled, okay? You know, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know, you believe in God. I know that you do. Now I'm asking you to believe in me. But this doesn't really, this doesn't show the picture. As we need to see it. You see, when we, when we read these words, you know, John is asking, John is telling us that Jesus is saying, go beyond believing that God exists. Go beyond just believing that God exists. Over in James chapter 219, you know, the half-brother of Jesus says this. He says, oh, you know what? You believe there's one God. That's good. But keep in mind this. The devils also believe and tremble. So, so what is John saying? If he's not saying, you know, believe that I exist, what is he saying? Well, so cool because there, um, up to this point, there is not a word in the Greek language for the word trust. It doesn't exist. So, so what John does is, and again, I'm not a Greek expert. I read this, but John marries a Greek verb, okay, with a Greek preposition, and he creates he creates a new Greek phrase. In other words, what I'm telling you is. This phrase did not exist in the Greek language until John does it. Okay? It does not, obviously not in the Bible because it was not in the Greek language. So in a unique way, he marries this Greek verb and Greek preposition, and it comes to mean trust in me. Don't just believe that I exist. The devils believe that God exists. Rather, trust in me. Let me help you. So... We're in the airport in Denver, and we're fixing to fly home. Outside of the window, there's an airplane. It's a cylinder, aluminum cylinder, with big things sticking out on the side. Okay? So I'm looking at that, and my brain says, I believe that it's an airplane, and I believe that it exists. That's, if you take a casual reading of believe in God, believe also in me, that's exactly what you think. Okay, yes, I believe in God. I believe God exists. I believe Jesus exists. Well, that's what I do with that airplane. I look at it and I say, oh, I believe that's an airplane. That airplane exists. I know it's real. I can see it. I may even go as far as to say, I believe that plane can fly. 
And you may go as far as say, I believe in God, and I believe God can do this, 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 and this. But he wants us to go further. He wants us to walk down the jetway, get on the plane, and sit in a seat. Then he wants us to fasten our seatbelt as the pilot cranks up the engines, as the plane backs away from the jetway, as it heads to the runway, and then we hear this loud noise as the uh, pilot pushes the throttles wide open and this aluminum cylinder that weighs 110,000 pounds, and that tells you how in the world can a 110,000 thing get off the ground, and yet it does. As he accelerates, the airflow comes underneath the wings, and we lift off. And at that moment, I trust that plane. I go from believing that plane exists to trusting that plane. That plane is going to take me to 37,000 feet, and all that separates me from death is a thin aluminum screen of skin and, and the fact that we're going forward at 475 miles an hour, and that keeps the plane in the air. But I'm trusting the plane. God says, I don't want you to just believe I exist. I want you to go. Because see, when we trust in Jesus, it changes our eternity from, from hell to heaven, but it also changes our life. We, when we start trusting in Jesus, then all of a sudden we stop living in fear and anxiety and brokenness and start living in victory and power and authority. So you believe in God, you trust in God. See, the NIV 84 gets it right. You know, NIV 84 says, you trust in God, okay? Now also, trust in me. And yeah, i got some good news for you. He says, here's the deal. He says in verse 2, the, the first part, In my Father's house are many rooms. In my Father's house are many rooms. And, you know, I grew, up, I grew up in the South. I grew up in a time when the King James was about the only translation. Eventually the IV came, but King James. And I grew up with this imagery of a mansion because the, the King James says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And that's so formed and shaped my motif of heaven. And that's such a beautiful word picture. So, some translations, I think the uh, English Standard Version, uses the word dwelling places. And in here, we see um, in the NIV 84, he has many rooms. And that's really an accurate translation. The bottom line is you need to know this. That Jesus is saying, where my Father is, there's lots of places. There's lots of dwelling places. There's lots of rooms. And here's the deal. He says, I, um, if this was not so, I would have told you. You know, there's a zillion things we also need to know about Jesus, not just about God, but about Jesus. Jesus never lies. And Jesus says that there is a place, and it's where his Father is, and where his Father is, there are many, many rooms. So watch our teaching point. How many rooms? How, how many rooms are there? Well, there's enough for whosoever. I love this. You know, when Jesus later on, in just a moment, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to make sure I say this. You know, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he was taking care of the unfinished business of heaven. Because Jesus to this day is still preparing places. And every time someone puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's preparing a place. You know, see, I love this because of the word whosoever. It doesn't mean that, that if you're a certain skin color or if you happen to get it right or somehow you figure, you know, God looks down and says, you know, I think he has potential. 
Literally, when Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross and shed his blood, he made it possible for every man, woman, and child, no matter how good in their own eyes, no matter how sinful in the eyes of others, he made it possible for whosoever will to go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that, isn't that great news? I mean, I'm telling you, it's so wonderful that, that you know, no matter who you bump into today, no matter who you bump into tomorrow, the good news is that Jesus invites them into the family. It's amazing. You know, the old hymn goes, um, There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions may come, there is still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. And I want to tell you, as a minister of the gospel, I want to tell you today that there is room for the cross for you. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. You know, I didn't share the good news yet, but, but Brent, uh, young Hayden Street, came forward today professing Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, there was room in the cross for him, and there's room in the cross for you. How many rooms? It's still being built, but there'll be enough for every man, woman, and child. And then in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse number 2, the second part, you know, he goes on and says this. I am going there. I'm going. And the guys are going, wait, 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 where are you going? You can't leave us. He goes, no, no, no I've got to go. And there's a couple reasons why you gotta, I have to go. See, he goes, you know, I have to go. I need to go so I can prepare a place. See, the carpenter had to go build. The carpenter had some more preparing to do. And he had to go prepare a place for them. For them. Jesus went away, yes, but he went away for purpose. And the purpose was prepare a place for us. But that's not all. That's not all. The carpenter had to go, needed to go, so he could send. So he, I love this. I know, you know, send what, Dwayne? Send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. You know, I love John 16, 7. Here's what it says. Nevertheless, Jesus speaking, again, that hard time. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. It is for your benefit that I go away. Um, it's, in fact, I think, again, King James says, it's imperative that I go away. It's important that I go away. Well, why? Well, why? Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come. See, see Jesus said, you know, I have to leave so he can come. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to send the counselor back. Well, what is the counselor? Who is the counselor? The counselor is the Holy Spirit. Now, and this is another time when the Greek word is so powerful. You know, it's parakletos. Parakletos. Um, it means one of the same kind. It, it means one called alongside. So, so what Jesus is saying, hey, it's important that I leave so he can come. One of the same kind can come. I love this. In another place in Scripture, he says this. He says, he is with you, talking about himself, he is with you, but soon he will be in you. In you. And so, so he said, I've got to go so the Holy Spirit, listen, Holy Spirit's not going to walk a long life with you. He's going to be inside of you. Take a permanent resonance in your life. That's why we can say, let not your heart be troubled. That's why we can say in this world you're going to have tribulation. But hey, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. <laughs> the one who overcame the world lives in us if we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I love it. That's better than the bodyguard. That's better than the big old dog. 
It's wonderful. You know, you know, I will come. So he had to go. But listen, he had to go so he could come back. He had to go because he could come back. In John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not a liar. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. Any preacher will stand up and say, well, I know the day and the hour. He didn't have a clue. Because the Bible said he didn't have a clue. You know, what the Bible does say is that no one knows but the Father. Even Jesus and Christ doesn't know, he said. It's been committed to the Father to know this. Okay? But Jesus Christ is coming back. And I'm coming back for a reason. I'm going to take you to be with me. See, see, this is not your home. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, is coming back. He's going to come back to get you that where I am, you may be. That where I am, there you may be. So, so the teaching point is, so where is heaven? Where is heaven? It's where Jesus is. It's where Jesus is. And that truly is enough. But sometimes, sometimes we need a sneak peek. So, sometimes we need a picture. You know, I guess we took literally hundreds of pictures of the mountains and the canyons in Colorado and South Dakota and Wyoming. We did picture after picture after picture. I know we did. I got a cough. So. <coughs> there we go. So I know we did. But you know what we've said time and again? The picture never does it justice. The picture never. And no matter how, no matter how we arrange those 26 letters in the English alphabet, it can't paint the picture all the way. No matter how you take the, the Greek letters and, that the Bible was written in, you can't get an accurate picture. In fact, you know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.9, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has, has prepared, or the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, our eyes can imagine, our ears can hear. And now watch this, beyond our imagination. That's why the song was written, you know, I can only imagine. Beyond our imagination, how good heaven is and what he's prepared for us. But, but in, his, in his glory, in his graciousness, God gives us some sneak peace. And so we jump over now to the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. And we read just a little bit about what God says about heaven. Because it's going to be better. So, Dwayne, how is it going to be better? Well, here's the deal. He says in verse 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is not a renovation. This is not a makeover. This is not flip or flop. If you watch HGTV, this is a total. God is going to make a total new earth and a total new heaven. He's going to make it brand new. And the reason why is this. The first earth had passed away. Okay, and there was no longer any sea. Okay, so so he's going to make what he's about to do for us. Home is better. The, you know, it's so good that he's going to totally do away the old and give us brand new. And I love the fact that it says there is no more sea. Because, you know, if you look at the sea, the sea is restlessness. Some of our favorite Bible stories in the New Testament involve the sea. I mean, what, what, did Je- what did Moses do? What did God do to, through Moses for the Red Sea? He parted it. He parted it. The, the sea represented death. The sea represented Roman, the uh, Egyptian army coming and destroying the Israelites. And God parts the sea. I'm telling you, you serve a God today is greater than any sea and greater than any unrestlessness that you're sensing. That's why, that's why you don't have to have trouble. You don't have to have a troubled heart. 
Because you serve the master of the sea. You, you serve the great conqueror of trouble. So he says there's going to be this new place. And here's the, here's the teaching point. You know, the broken, the broken is replaced with the whole. The broken, all that's broken in this world is going to be replaced with not fractured, but whole. And the restlessness of the sea is going to be replaced by his peace. That's enough. That's enough. But that's not all. That's not all. Because then he goes in verse number 2 and says this. John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now this, I love this. See, I don't think we think big enough. Okay? Because here's the deal. You know all those illustrations, the, uh, the words from the Bible that pop in our brain when we think about heaven? Streets of gold, walls with 12 foundations, 12 gates with one giant pearl making each gate. Did you know that's not even heaven? That's just a part of it. That's the holy city that comes down out of heaven and actually hovers over the new earth. I mean, that's just, that's just a part of what God... That's just a part of home is better. But, but it's pretty pistachio. Spectacular. You know, this, this thing, this new Jerusalem, you know, over in Revelation 21, 16, it tells us that the city is square, the length and breadth are the same, and so is the height. And it tells us it's around, around 1,500 miles. So in other words, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you were to, I'm, this is so hard to illustrate, but let's pretend like I'm standing over here in New York City, okay? And the organ over there, the piano, is Phoenix, Arizona. So if you can imagine that distance, 1,500 miles. Let me help you a little more. If I were to leave Harrisburg and drive to Disney World and come back, just somewhere south of Memphis would be 1,500 miles. Now, imagine that the Bible says clearly that the city is square. So it's 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles, and 1,500 miles. Now, keep in mind, that's just the city. It doesn't include the new heaven. It doesn't include the new earth. This thing is big, all right? But here's the crazy part. Remember I told you in Revelation 21, 19, it says the city is square. It's left and breadth and height is the same. So not only is it 1,500 miles this way, it's 1,500 miles straight up. We think in 2D. We think in linear. The new heaven's not built that way. It's this gigantic city that goes 1,500 miles square, but also 1,500 miles straight up. Wow. Oh, and keep in mind, that's just the city. Let me help you. Anybody here seen the space station fly over Harrisburg? Anybody seen that? Judy have. Yeah, right here. Yeah, it's really cool, isn't it, Connie? It really is. You need to do this. I don't know the site. Um, Google space station schedule or something, and you'll find this. But, but what you'll see is, and it does it really quite frequently, actually. It circles the earth 15 uh, times a uh, day, and a lot of times it passes over the middle of the west. Sometimes you'll just see it on the horizon. Sometimes you get six minutes of it going straight over. And what you're going to see when you see the space station is you're going to see this light, okay? Compared to anything else you see, including airplanes like that, it's bright, it's bright, and it's large. I don't, don't think, like, huge, but believe me, it's bigger than any star in the sky. And you'll see this dude, and it's traveling at 17,000 miles an hour. Okay? So to give you the vastness of space, if it started in the, in the west and went to the east, it would still take about five or six minutes to go over. Okay? All right? But here's the deal. The space station 
is 248 miles above the earth. Okay, you got that in your brain? 248 miles above the earth. So we're going to go up to the space station, and when we get there, and to measure heaven, the height of it, we're going to keep going another 1,200 miles. So we're going to shoot up 248 miles in space and keep right on going another 1,200 and some odd miles, and that's how tall the city is. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, home is going to be better. Home is going to be better. It's bigger. It's better than anything you can ever, ever imagine. So he says that this new Jerusalem is coming down. And then he describes it in a special way. He says, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, we all know that potentially a woman looks her most beautiful on her wedding day. And, and John is saying, it's, it's like a bride who's done everything she can to make herself beautiful. And she presents herself. That's how, that's how the New Jerusalem is. That's how he portrays it. He said, it's like a bride. But here's what I want you to get. You know, we learn in Revelation chapter 19, we learn that we are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And I think it's amazing that when God used John to search for words to describe how beautiful the city is, he used bride and groom. And we're the bride of Christ. And I think he's saying, I think he's saying that, that, the, that the new Jerusalem is as beautiful as the bride of Christ. See, you have trouble envisioning yourself as a beautiful bride, don't you? That's because you don't understand grace. That's because you don't understand God's righteousness. See, God don't see you as broken and fractured. He sees you washed in the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. He, he, <laughs> he sees you bathed in his righteousness. He sees you clothed in his righteousness. He sees you as a beautiful bride, as a bride on her wedding day. And then John comes and says, yeah, that's how beautiful the new Jerusalem is. It's as beautiful as the bride of Christ on her wedding day. Then it goes on, verse number three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will live with them. In other words, the way it used to be is going to be again. The, the, you know, it was stolen in the garden, but the way it used to be, when, when Adam and Eve would come and, and see God and hear God and fellowship with God, it's going to be that way again. You know, man will be restored with God, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself would be with them and be their God. You know, when our trip... Again, I, I love this country a lot, and I love things that, that portray America and its greatness, and, and that is like Mount Rushmore. I'd never seen it before in person, and to see that, that work of man. Now, I have to be honest with you, the work of God was greater, but it was cool to see the four guys up on the mountain and realize how great it was. It was the star of the show. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you what the star of the show is in heaven. It's going to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's, going to, it's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. It's going to be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You know why? You want to know why home is better? You know why heaven's going to be better? It's not streets of gold. It's not a big city. It's God will be there. Jesus will be there. The Holy Spirit will be there. That's what makes home better. That's what makes home better will be there. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the beauty of it. You know, the teaching point. You know, the unity of God and mankind is stolen in the garden. Okay? But it will be restored. All the, all the beauty and majesty of that close relationship, you know, in person will be restored. The Redeemer and His redeemed. 
Heaven with Jesus. Heaven with the one who loved us so much, he, he nailed himself to a cross. You know, heaven, eternity uh, with the one who bore the nails in his hand and feet. Uh, heaven with the one who allowed his slide to, side to be split open. Heaven uh, you know, with the one who died not as a martyr, not as a murderer, murdered one, but one who loved us that much. That's what's going to make heaven, heaven. And then verse number four. If you don't have this, a paraphrase of memorized, you need to. Because the world's hard. Sickness is hard. One of our families is grieving the loss of a father and a grandfather. Broken hearts everywhere. And here's what the glimmer says. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Home is better, folks. Home is better. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's going to be no more death. There'll be no more death. Um, there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying and no more pain. For the old, I love this, the old order. See, the, the old earth goes. The old heaven goes. The old order goes. Goes. They passed away. And here's the teaching point. The ravage and scars of sin will be gone. Have you watched, I know we try not to watch too much of the news, but have you watched any news and you see these wildfires? And I think we've almost reached the point of saturation and we go, yeah, a wildfire. We saw it up front and personal. Um, in October of last year, the COVID year, 2020, a wildfire raged through the Rocky Mountain National Park. Somehow I missed that. I didn't know. And I was so looking forward to seeing the majesty of the Rocky Mountain National Park. So we entered on the west side, and we started seeing just a little bit before we even got to the park uh, in the little town there called Grand Lake. Um, but then as we went down the park road, all of a sudden, Brand, everything was burnt. I mean, I mean, nothing was left. I mean, the trees were burnt. The grass was burnt. The bushes, it was just black. And it was the ravage of sin. Now, I asked the guy, I said, the ranger, I said, sir, how long will it take this to come back? Now, already in some areas there was sprigs of grass, but the trees and stuff. I said, how long before this will be somewhat normal? He said, you won't see it and I won't see it. He said, about 100 years. See, the ravages of sin are that devastating. So, we've got to see beyond this life to see the ravages of sin taken care of. You won't see a perfect earth. You won't see a perfect uh, America. You won't see that perfection. So, we've got to go beyond here to there. Because there is better than here, and home is better than here. And one day the ravages and scars of sin will be gone. And the halls of heaven will echo the words no more. No more. There'll be no more. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death. No more. And that is why home is better. That's why home is better. So, So don't put down too deep a stakes here. Because your citizenship is not here. Your citizenship is in a place called heaven. So you have to ask yourself the question, so 
Is it true? Is it real? Well, he said there, I'm making everything new. And write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And if you've got, if you've got one ounce of faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to know heaven's real. You got, this is not something we have just made up. We were having a little chat with, with Jonathan Deck. I love it when we talk spiritual stuff and we're on the same page. You know, it's kind of nice when you raise your kids and they kind of agree with you. Kind of a nice thing. But we were talking about that. And I told Becca, I said, Becca, here's the deal. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. What they ask me to believe is so much greater than what God asked me to believe. They, they want to believe that somehow, somehow, you know, and I'm not being funny. I mean, it's, you know, somehow a glob of protein on the shore, spark of life. We're not sure where the spark of life came from, you know, and all of a sudden we evolve ourselves to people that can make jet airplanes that weigh 110,000 pounds and fly through the sky. Or, or, or the fact that if Earth was just uh, one or two points this way or one or two points this way, it would be a barren planet. I just don't have that kind of faith. I choose, I choose to believe God because it's simpler. Come on, come on, come on. I choose to believe God because it's just simpler. It's simpler. It doesn't take as much faith. Yeah, heaven's real. Heaven's real. And God wants you to be there. God wants you to be there. You know, Jesus said in verse number four, he said, you know the way, the way, I, the way I'm to where I'm going. You know that way. And Thomas said, well, we don't know where you're going. And we certainly don't know the way. And I love this. I mean, I know it's simplistic and I'm that kind of guy. You know, Jesus simply said this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. I love that. You know why I love that? Because I know me and I know you. And none of us would be good enough. If it somehow depended on us going to church and being good and keeping the rules. Well, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That all sin to come short of the glory of God. The Bible says all that. And so what God does is, knowing that, God sends his son Jesus. And he pays the price. And then invites every person to whosoever, every person to come into faith and believe. He says, if you will believe in me, trust in me, turning away from your sin and choosing to follow, then I'll forgive your sins. That's what Hayden did this morning. That's what some kids did that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. That's what many of us have done. And that's what God invites you to do. And home is better. It's, I mean, it makes life pretty good here. I, I love the fact that, that, you know, that God walks with us. I like that. I like that, that, that you know, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I, I like it that no matter how bad I mess up, he'll never stop loving me. But son, we ain't seen nothing yet. You know, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You know, you remember the story? You remember the story about the little kid who asked the preacher? And he said, preacher, he said, is um, heaven like church? And the pastor thought a moment and said, well, son, in some ways it is. He goes, I don't think I want to go. <laughs> Our best day at Dorsville is not a glimmer of what's going to be like in heaven. So my invitation to you is this. My challenge to you is this. First, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never realized that you have sinned against holy God, and if you've never reached a point where you turn away from sin and choose to follow him, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And again, it was such a cool thing when Hayden came forward this morning. 
He said, I've, you know, he's been asking a lot of questions and wanted to know about Jesus. You know, so if you've not done that, I, I challenge you. Just take a small step of faith and believe. You know, again, not believing in God takes a lot of faith. Just look around. Look at a newborn baby's face. Look at a spring flower. Look at a tree come back to life after a cold winter. I mean, that, that, that's God. So I take a small step of faith and believe in Jesus Christ. And then leave the rest to him. Leave the rest to him. Dwayne, I'm not that good. You don't have to be good. You have to have faith. You have to have faith. So I hope you'll do that. And if you're here today, and you're discouraged, what you see in this world, what you see in America frightens you and scares you. I told a friend one day, I had lunch with him, I said, Jesus is the answer, you know. Jesus is the answer. So know this. This world is not your home. You're just passing through. And God is sovereign, and God's in control. He doesn't take vacations. He's got this. He's got this. Trust him. Be the light of Jesus in this broken world. Speak Jesus to this broken world. And then watch as God works. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what it's going to look like. I do know this. Home is better. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing these truths today. Thank you that home is better. Thank you that you open the invitation and you say, whosoever will. Thank you for that. And if there's a whosoever will today that's just been wanting to come home but didn't know how to find home, I pray that something we said today will help them to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray for that. Father, I pray for us because we do get discouraged. We get hardened. We get bitter because of what we see in this world. But Lord, help us to look beyond this world and to the next world. Help us to believe that home is better. That we're just passing through. We're pilgrims on a way to a new city. So thank you for that truth. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.